Welcome and thanks for joining Pastor Rick Warren. For a transcript and outline of this message, visit saddlebackresources.com. Let's join Pastor Rick. That God gives us power when we make the right choices. When we choose to do it His way, we have additional power in our lives. And we've already looked at the awesome power of focus. We've looked at the awesome power of forgiveness. And today we're going to look at the awesome power of faith. What kind of person does God bless? What kind of person does God use? What kind of qualities do you find in people that he unusually blesses? Because I want to be a person like that. I hope you do too. And you know what I've discovered is that God uses all kinds of people. Backgrounds, ages, economic status, language, ethnic, everything. But there is one common denominator you can find in every single person that God blesses in an unusual way. It doesn't matter who or where they are or where they're from. They always have this quality in their life if you find somebody that God is blessing in an unusual way. And what is it? It is people who are not afraid to trust God completely. That is what I call the faith factor. God blesses people who are not afraid to trust him completely. And when you do that, it produces enormous power in your life. Enormous power. Now, the Bible tells us there's a direct connection between faith and power. That the more faith you put in God, the more you let him steer your life and drive your life, the more power and the more blessing you're going to have in it. Jesus illustrated this in Matthew 13. It says he had gone to Nazareth, which was his hometown. It said Jesus did not do many miracles of power in his hometown because of their lack of faith. Notice the connection between faith and power. In the Bible, Abraham is called the father of faith. Why is he the father of faith? Look at the next verse. Abraham's faith did not leave him and he did not doubt God's promise. Instead, would you read this with me? His faith filled him with power. Would you like to have more of God's power in your life? You see, if you don't have God's power in your life, you're going to be running on your own energy. And that's why you're tired all the time. It's why you're always wiped out, why you're always fatigued. God never meant for you to go through life just on your own power. It's like having a laptop unplugged the battery's eventually going to drain. you got this much of a battery and behind you is God's San Onofre power plant waiting for you to plug in. Now you can do either. You can either run through life on your power, which means you're going to be tired all the time, or you can plug into God's power and have enormous amounts of energy that you never thought possible. So today, what's the secret? It's through getting more faith. Today we're going to look at four ways that you grow in faith. These are just four of maybe hundreds. We could spend an entire year on this subject. But here are four ways that you can grow in faith so that God's power can be more evident in your life. And God's blessing will be more evident in your life. Whatever you want God to bless, you need to trust him for. A relationship, a job, or whatever. So let's look at four ways. Number one, first, faith is choosing God's dream for my life. Faith is choosing and believing God's dream for my life. It all starts with a dream. It all starts with vision, an idea. What does God want to do in my life? Proverbs 29, 18. Would you read it with me? 
Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is a church with no vision, the people go to another parish. Everybody wants to know where it's going. Now the point here is this. Nothing starts happening in your life until you start dreaming. God gave you the ability to dream, to create, to imagine. Nothing happens there. And dreaming is an act of faith. Everything you see on the planet started as a dream, started as an idea, started as a concept. Everything on this campus, this building, all the other buildings, before they became reality, they were a dream in somebody's mind. They weren't mine. Somebody else thought this up. Somebody else thought all the buildings up. Everything you see first was an idea. It first was a dream. And so until you get a dream, nothing becomes reality. Now, if you don't have a goal in life, your goal is just to go through life drifting by default. And that's why if you haven't heard that first message uh, on the power of focus, I would encourage you to get that CD and the little tool, the pencil planner, on how how to focus your life. You see, there are a lot of things in life you can delegate to other people. You can pay somebody else to do it. You can get a friend to do it. You can pawn it off on your kids. But there's one thing you cannot delegate, and that is trusting God. I cannot delegate my faith in God to somebody else. I can't ask my wife to believe God for me. I can't ask my husband or my kids or my parents to believe God for me. You cannot ask other people to do that. You have to decide. And you trust God as much as you choose. It's your choice. You can trust him a little or trust him a lot. It's totally your choice. Now, how do you get God's dream for your life? Well, you do three things, and it's the next three verses. First, Ephesians 3.20. God, by his mighty power at work within us, is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. God says, think of the biggest dream you can think for your life. And guess what? I can top that. I can do something bigger in your life than the biggest thing you could dream of. Now, I want you to circle a phrase in that, dare to ask. Would you circle that? Here's the first characteristic of dreamers that God blesses. Dreamers dare to ask. If you want God's blessing on your life this year, you must dare to ask for it. You must say, God, this is my dream, and this is I'm daring to ask for it. So what do you do? Well, you ask God, first, God, what's your dream for my life? What do you want me to do? And then you ask yourself, what have I always dreamed of doing? Let me ask you that right now. What's your dream? If I asked you, what have you always dreamed of doing? And it probably comes to mind, you go, and I'm going to ask you, why aren't you doing it? Well, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, don't have the ability, don't have the... So what? You're talking about looking at yourself. Why don't you look to God? Where do you think that dream came from? God puts desires in our hearts. Say, I've always dreamed of... Well, why don't you go after it? And why don't you ask God? God blesses people who dare to ask. God, would you help me with this dream? I've always wanted to you know, be a whatever. I've always wanted to go to whatever. I've always wanted to accomplish whatever. Well, why don't you ask God for it? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Here's the question I want you to think through. You might even write this down. What would I attempt for God if I knew I couldn't fail? Just ask yourself that. What would I attempt 
act if I knew I couldn't fail. Let that expand your vision. It always starts with a dream. When you get a dream and you set a goal, goals are statements of faith. I believe I'm supposed to do this by such and such a date. I believe God will empower me. And so if you want God's blessing on your life, first, you dare to ask. Second, you believe God's promises. And that's the next verse. You believe God's promises. The Bible says, I am the Lord, the God of all people of the world. Is anything too hard for me? The answer is obviously no. You see, nothing is impossible with God. And today's impossibility is tomorrow's possibility. It's tomorrow's miracle. So you never let, just because you got a dream, you say, well, it's impossible. Well, so what? A lot of things that are impossible become possible when you do it. Never let an impossible situation intimidate you. Let it motivate you to pray more, to believe more, to trust more, to experience more, to learn more, to grow more. That's how you grow. Just because your dream seems, quote, impossible doesn't mean you shouldn't go after it. God is the God of the impossible. That's where faith works. Faith always works in the realm of the impossible. Hudson Taylor said there are three uh, stages to God's will in your life. Impossible, possible, and done. A lot of things I've done in my life that were impossible when I started to do it. But I trusted God. And first, I believed God and I dared to ask. And second, I believed his promises. We've talked about those. Over 7,000 of them in the Bible. You see, Satan's favorite words to you and that dream he's always dreamed of doing, his favorite words are, you can't do it. Let me say right now, when you get a dream and, and you hear the words, you can't do it, those words aren't from God. That's not from God. That's from Satan. And he's saying, you can't do it because he wants to keep you stuck in mediocrity. I, I want him to look at you and go, oh, I hate that person. Because they believe God. They dare to ask And they trust God's promises. I hate that. If you're going to have God's blessing on your life, you dare to ask. You believe God's promises. And the third thing is you dream big. That's the next verse. God says, ask of me. There's that word ask. And I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth your possession. What's he saying? He says, ask me for the world. I mean, that's about as big as you can get. Ask me for the world. I'll give you the nation. God says, ask me and I'll give you the nations. You see, the size of your God should determine the size of your goal. And you haven't really believed God until you've attempted something that can't be done in the power of the flesh or done in your own effort. The only way you you really please God is when you're living by faith, which means you're doing something you can't do on your own power. But let me just say this. When you begin to dream and you say, okay, God, I'm going to take a step of faith this year. I'm going to go after my dream. First, I'm going to pray and say, what's your dream for my life? Then I'm going to think, What have I always wanted to do? What would I attempt if I knew I couldn't fail? And then I'm going to believe God's promises and I'm going to dream big. And you go out there and what's going to happen is you're going to go out and you're going to start your dream and you're going to fall flat on your face. Why? Because there's three parts to a dream. This is very important. You need to understand this. When God gives you a dream, the first part he gives you, phase one, is what? That's when you get the idea. He gives you an idea of what he wants you to do. That's phase one. And then you go out and you start trying to do it and you fall on your face and you think, well, maybe I just made that up. And then you come back and say, God, did I miss your dream? And God says, no, it's still the dream. You just didn't wait for part two. And part two of the dream is how? 
How am I going to do it? And the way God fulfills the dream in your life will usually be the exact opposite of what you thought. Okay, because you don't think like God thinks. And so he's going to show you how to fulfill your dream in a way different than you thought you were going to fulfill it. And then there comes the third part, and this is the most important of all, and that's the when. God shows you what he wants to do in your life, then he shows you how, and then he shows you when. And it always comes in phases. And the when is the timing, and God's timing is always perfect. And a lot of times, well, have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? And you go, God, you know, I want this dream right now. And God says, well, yeah, it's a good dream, but I'll do it in my timing. It's not like it's not going to happen. It's, you know, the difference between no and not yet. You have to learn that as a little kid. Between no and not yet. God says a lot of times, not yet. When I tell you, it'll be right. You know, if you look at a Polaroid picture and you hold it up, the longer you look at it, the clearer it gets. When it first comes out of the camera, it's pretty blurry. And you know, the longer I look at the picture, the clearer it gets. And I go, oh, that's what you had in mind. That's cool. Oh, and look at that. That's cool too. Oh, and there's something else coming up. It's kind of like reading a scroll. You read a little bit and you unroll it and you read a little bit and you unroll it. God's not going to show you what he's going to do in your life all at once. If he did, it'd scare you to death. So what he does is he just shows you a little bit at a time. So the dream's going to come in stages and phases. Now, the question is, how big should my dream be? You say, okay, I'm supposed to dream big. I'm supposed to dare to ask. I'm supposed to believe the promises. I'm supposed to dream big. How big should my dream be? You ask yourself two questions. The first question is, how much time do I have to give to it? If if it's a dream you got a year on, it better not be a very big goal. If it's a dream you say, I can give the rest of my life to this, you can really dream big. You see, we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in 10 or 20 or 30 or 40. So you have to look at, you see, most people set goals too low and try to accomplish them too quickly. What you need to do is set a bigger dream for your life and take a longer time to do it. Well, you can do a lot when you take 40 or 50 years to do it. You can get a lot done. You just take, you know, inch by inch, anything's a cinch. It's like that old cliche, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So you ask yourself, how much time do I have? And that determines the size of the dream. The other question you ask yourself to decide your dream is, what am I really shaped to do? Spiritual gifts, heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences, the five things that make you you. But you need to look at yourself and be honest. And say, what, what is my heart? What do I love to do? What am, what am I gifted to do? What are my abilities? And just be honest. You must be optimistic and realistic at the same time. Now, I know you've heard motivational speakers say, you know, you can be anything you want in life. Well, it's not true. And you probably read some books that say, you can be anything you want in life. It's just not true. Somebody needs just to stand up and say, hello, it's not true. You can only be what God shaped you to be. If you try to be something that you're not shaped, wired, gifted to do, guess what? It causes a little thing called stress. Stress is when you try to be something you're not, you you aren't. And that's why so many people, I guess 80% of the people in the world are in the wrong job. They're not being, they're not, you know how you know when you're shaped to do something? It's fun. You love to do it. 
You get it. So I can't wait to go do that. Now, if you have that, attitude, I can't wait. If you don't have that attitude, you're likely in the wrong job. Because God wired you when you're doing what you're shaped to do. You go, this feels good. This is me. And you're not as stressed. Stress comes from trying to be something you're not. I mean, somebody could tell me, you can be whatever you want to be. And I said, I want to be an opera star. That would not only stress me, it'd stress you. (laughs) Having to listen to it. And you create stress for other people around you when you're doing things that you weren't gifted to do. So you look at how long you're going to focus on the goal and you look at what you're shaped to do. Now I want you to write no small dreams. I want to challenge you to dream great dreams for God. It's your first step in the walk of faith and it pleases God. All right, so step one in really getting God's blessing in your life is living by faith. And how do you do that first? I get God's dream for my life. Second step, faith is being willing to risk failure. Once I get a dream, I got to take some risks to go after it. And faith is being willing to risk failure to go after the dream that God has put in your mind and in your heart. You cannot go after a dream without taking some kind of risk. If there's no risk involved, it's not a dream from God because God wants you to live by faith. It'll be so big that you can't do it on your own. Now, the Bible says in Acts 15, they risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God blessed them. Have you ever had to take any risks for the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever had to take any risk? Have you ever risked anything for God? You see, behold the turtle. He only makes progress when he sticks his neck out. And don't be afraid to go out on a limb because that's where the fruit is. And don't be afraid to rock the boat if Jesus is in the boat. You go ahead and take that risk. And we're not, so, failure's no big deal, so what? You know, you just, you just get up and do it again. That's how you learn. We never call it a failure anyway. We call it an experiment. Okay. And, uh, or we call it an education because now we know what doesn't work. I want you making new mistakes every week because you're trying and there's nothing wrong. You're not going to get fired for that. It just means you're, you're taking risks. You're, you're growing in faith. And that's how we learn what works. You know, there's a great example in the Bible, uh, in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel was written when the Jewish nation, Israel, had been uprooted and taken captive over to Iraq. And they had all, and for 70 years, all the Jews lived in Babylon and they were held captive there. And the guy who was the king at the time was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And he made a rule that said, when I ring the bell, every, they had this big statue made of him. And they said, when I ring the bell, everybody's to bow down and worship this statue because I'm God. Well, the Jews said, we're not going to do that. We only obey the real God. You know, not some phony idol. And there were particularly three guys who refused to do it. Three young men. They're all in their 20s or maybe even late teens. And their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, when I was a kid, I thought the preacher was talking about apartments. My shack, your shack, or a bungalow, you know. (laughs) But actually, they're real people. And Nebuchadnezzar bring these guys in. He goes, all right, boys. I hear you're not bowing down to the statue. And they go, no. And he says, well, I tell you what, if you don't bow down, we're going to throw you into this big fiery furnace. I don't know if they heated the, the palace with it or what. But he said, we're going to throw you in there and you're going to be a crispy critter. And they said, well, we're not going to do it. In fact, this was their response. Look there on your outline. 
If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Okay, now that's faith. He's able to do it and we believe he's going to do it. But, notice the next verse, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, faith, real faith, does not demand a guarantee of a miracle. It says, we believe God wants us to do this, and we believe God will bail us out because we're going to do this, and God will make us successful, and God will protect us. But even if he does not, because it's not part of the plan, we're still going to do the right thing. Faith does not demand a miracle. Faith says, I'm going to go out, let's say, I believe God wants me to go start this business. I real, I've prayed about it. I've asked, sought advice. It's not just my idea. I've talked to godly counsel. I think it's a good thing. And so I'm going to go out and start. Even if it bombs, it's okay, because even the bombing is part of God's plan. It's not my plan. My plan is for it to be a success. In other words, they're saying we're willing to make our plans and to go God's way. And if it doesn't work out, we're willing to risk failure. In fact, we're willing to give our lives for it. That is faith. Faith is willing to fail, even if that means part of God's plan. I'm going to do this, God. But if it doesn't work out, it's okay. I'm still trusting you because you know I'm doing it in faith. And you know what? God will honor that faith even if it didn't work out the way you intended it to work out. God is more interested in growing your faith than he is in what we do in life. Now these guys, they're getting ready to be thrown into this fiery furnace. You think they were scared? Of course they were, scared to death. But they went ahead and did it because as we know, courage is not the absence of fear. It it is moving ahead in spite of your fear. If you don't have any fear, it's not courage. You don't need courage for things you're not afraid of. Courage is when you do something and you're scared to death to do it. You live your life ruled by God. So you go ahead and even do the stuff you're scared to death to do. You just do it anyway. You don't ever not do something because you're afraid. Well, I'm afraid, so I won't go after my dream. Well, that's dumb. You go after your dream even though you are afraid. Just because it's a dream from God doesn't mean there's not going to be any fear. There will, because that means you have to trust in faith. Satan's favorite tool is this fear of failure. The next verse says this. The fear of human opinion disables. What will other people think? If it doesn't work out, I'll look foolish. I'll look dumb. I'll be rejected. It says the fear of human opinion disables. King James says the, fear, the snare, the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. The moment you or I start worrying about what other people think, we're dead in the water. We're out of the game. We're on the bench. You cannot serve God and be constantly worrying about what other people think. So you have to move forward. The moment you start worrying about others, it's over. You've got you to learn to live for an audience of one. God, I'm going to focus on you. I think this is the dream you've given me. I'm going to go after the dream. Doesn't matter the cheers or the jeers, the strokes or the pokes, the complaints or the criticisms or the compliments. I'm just going to keep going. And goals are based on what you believe God can do, not what you believe you can do. And the size of your God, as I said, should determine the size of your goal. So how do you get rid of the fear of failure? How do you eliminate the fear of failure? Well, there are a couple ways. There are actually two ways you get rid of the fear of failure in your life. Number one is you redefine failure. That's it. Redefine failure. And that's how you get rid of the fear of it. What is failure? Failure is not failing to reach a goal. 
Failure is not having a goal. Failure is not failing to hit your target. Failure is not having a target. Failure is not falling down. Everybody falls down. Failure is refusing to get back up. See, you're never a failure till you quit. And so if you're attempting something for the glory of God, that's a good thing. Failure is, failure is not trying and, 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 and not accomplishing anything. Failure is failing to try. And most people never try to go after their dream. They never even try. We may not reach all of the goals we set in life. So what? The thing is, you die trying. You give your life doing something good and great for God, for the global glory of God. And if you're doing it in love, it can, you can't be considered a failure because love never fails. So if you're doing it in love, you're not a failure, no matter what the results are. So you redefine failure. Babe Ruth used to say, never let the fear of striking out keep you from taking a swing. The other thing you do to get rid of the fear of failure is you never compare yourself. Never compare yourself to anybody else. Don't compare your husband to somebody else's husband. Don't compare your wife. Don't compare your jobs. Don't compare your hairstyle, your clothes, how green your lawn is to your neighbors, your car. The Bible says it's foolish. It's dumb to compare. Why? Two reasons. One, you're always going to find somebody who's doing a better job and you get discouraged. And two, you're always going to find somebody you're doing a better job, then you get full of pride. Both of them will mess up your life. Discouragement or pride will keep you from serving God's purpose for your life. And so God says, don't pay any attention to anybody else. Because you're always either going to get discouraged, oh, they're doing a better job than I am, or you're going to get full of pride, I'm doing a better job than they are. And God says, don't do that. Don't compare yourself. When you get to heaven, God isn't going to say, why weren't you more like so-and-so? He's going to say, why weren't you who I made you to be? Now, the Bible says this in Galatians 6, 4. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. Notice, did you see that there's a legitimate pride? Did you know that there's a good kind of pride and there's a bad kind of pride? The bad kind of pride is comparing. I'm better than so-and-so. The good kind of pride is, God, I'm proud of what you're doing in my family. I'm proud of what you're doing in my business. God, I'm proud of what you're doing in my life. You're helping me grow. That's okay. That's fine. God, I'm proud of what you're doing in our church. That's good. But what's bad is if you start comparing yourself to others. He says, that's wrong. You see, God hadn't called me to be the best pastor in the world. God has called me to be the best pastor I can possibly be, given the gifts, talents, and experience, the way he shaped me. That's all he looks at. God hasn't called you to be the best husband in the world. He's called you to be the best husband based on your shape, what God made you to be. One day, God's going to judge you. He's going to evaluate you on your life. He's not going to say, how did you do in comparison to anybody else? He is going to say, what did you do with what you were given? That's what you're going to be judged on. Did you use the talents I gave you, the abilities I gave you? Did you grow? Did you trust me? You're not called to be the best in the world. You're called to be the best that God made you to be. The Bible says all things are possible with God. I told you this before. If you were to go to my office and pull out my dictionary, my library, and look up the word impossible, you would find it's not there because I cut it out. 
took a little exacto knife and cut it out. I thought, you know, God, nothing is impossible with God. So if it's not in God's vocabulary, it's not in my vocabulary. You haven't really believed God until you've tried something that can't be done on your own energy and power. To me, hell would be if God were to show me what I could have accomplished with my life if I just believed him a little bit more. That would be hell. So let go of the fear of failure. Because anything you're attempting for God and and love and in faith, God says, that's a good thing, regardless of the results. Let go of your fear and trust God. Here's step three in learning to live a life of faith. Faith is expecting God to bless and to use me. Expecting God to bless and to use me. Now, Paul expected God to bless him. In fact, in Philippians 1, he says this, I expect and hope that I will not fail Christ in anything, but that I will have the courage now to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth, whether I live or die. Paul said, I expect God to bless me. So did David. In the next verse, it says, I believe I shall enjoy the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. If you go through the Bible, you'll find that everybody God uses, it's because they expect him to use them. And everybody God blesses in a great way, it's because they expect God to bless them. Expecting God is an act of faith. Do you know why God uses me? Because I expect him to use me. Not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has already done. I put my faith in God's grace and see results. Now, I can tell you exactly what God's going to do in your life in terms of blessing. Exactly what you expect him to do. Not more, not less. Because if you study scripture, you find that every time God moves out of heaven and moves on earth and does a miracle, it's because somebody believed. And the reason why you don't ever see any miracles in your life, you don't expect them to happen. Faith is getting God's dream, being willing to take a risk to head off on that dream, and then expecting God to help you and bless you and use you to accomplish that dream. All three points are essential, and you have to have this spirit of expectation. The difference between winners and losers is always attitude. And attitude means you have to be with God, tuned in and expecting him to to use you. You see, nothing great is ever accomplished without enthusiasm. And how do you get enthusiasm? I'm not talking about natural, just bubbly. Some, Some of you people are naturally tiggers. Okay, you just kind of bounce around, bounce around, you jump around, you're just so fun and everybody loves you and it's your, you know, leave a little mess everywhere, but you're just a whole lot of fun to be around, okay? And you're just bright and you're happy and you're cheery and you're just, a, by natural ability, you're just a tigger. And tiggers always marry Eeyores. Oh, it's a terrible day. How terrible could it get? Okay, even Eeyores can be enthusiastic. Now, I'm not saying God's going to change your personality and make, turn you into a tigger. We, we got enough of them in the world. Okay, can I hear an amen on that? Okay, okay, we don't need any more tiggers. What we need is everybody having enthusiasm. And where does enthusiasm come from? The Greek words, en theos, E-N, theos, 
means to be in God. In means, E-N means in, within. And theos means theology, like, or God. Like theology is the study of God. Theodore is, means lover of God. And actually Dorothy, which is a feminine of it, is lover of God. Both those names means lover of God. And it, it's, so in theos means to be in God. When you get in God, you're going to be enthusiastic. It's not this psychological self-help, pull yourself up by your bootstraps every day in every way I'm better and better. You know? No, it's in theos. It's the enthusiasm that comes from God. And you know what? It lasts a whole lot longer than a rah-rah rally. It's the thing that keeps you going. When you're in God, you're enthusiastic. The Bible says this. According to your faith, it will be done unto you. God says, you get to choose how much I bless your life. You get to choose how much I use you. You get to choose what I do in your business, in your family, in your relationships. You get to choose what I do in your finances. You get to choose what I do in your hobbies. According to your faith, it will be done unto you. So what do you believe in God for? What are you expecting God to do in your life this year? You say, if I really expect God to do great things in my life, isn't that kind of like pride? I mean, why me? If, if I went out and I got a big dream, I have a big dream, and then I take risks and I'm willing to risk failure to go after it, and then I expect God to help me out, I mean, why should God help me out? Isn't that kind of prideful? That I would, I, I, that, why should I expect to have a big dream? It's, I'm, I'm me. Isn't that pride? No, it's not pride at all. The Bible calls it faith. But since you mentioned that, it's important to deal with how do you have a big dream without getting a big head? How, how do you have big goals without getting a big ego? How do, how do big dreams and humility go together? Because it's very important. God wants us to live with humility. In fact, pride is the worst sin. Did you know that? It's the worst sin. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. God hates pride. God says, I, he says it over and over in scripture. I hate pride. He is against the proud. He, he opposes the pride, prideful. Now, the middle letter of pride is what? I. And the middle letter of sin is what? I. It's when I want to be my own God and I want to do my own thing and I want to call the shots and I don't need God. I'll do what I want to do in life. That's called pride. That's the negative kind. We talked about the good time earlier. And so God says, how do I, how do I, or you say, how do I have big dreams without getting a big ego? Well, let me just tell you from experience, it's not very hard for God to humble you. Do you have children? Are you married? Do you have friends? You know, there are a lot, listen, there are a thousand ways for God to humble you. You don't have to worry about that. God's problem in your life is not how to get you to be humble. He can do that very easily. Uh, his problem is getting you to dream bigger than you've ever dreamed before. That's the harder of the two. You say, well, how, how will God keep you humble when you have a big dream? Oh, there are lots of ways. Let me just mention a few. Number one, you will be criticized unjustly. Count on it. If, you know, it's, it is not by accident that the most blessed people, the most blessed businesses, the most blessed ministries are also the most criticized. What's the most blessed retail store in the world? Walmart. What's the most criticized? Walmart. What's the biggest and most blessed fast food chain? McDonald's. What's the most criticized? McDonald's. 
It, it just, if you're going to call the shots, you take the shots. And if you're going to be a pioneer, you're going to get arrows in the back. And the moment you hang out your shingle, somebody's going to start throwing stones at it. And the more God blesses you, the bigger a target you become. So you will be criticized, you know, unjustly. Well, what should your response be to that? Well, look up here on the screen. 2 Corinthians 6, 8 says, We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or they praise us. He says, you know what? We don't really pay attention to either. As you're running the race of life, over in the stands, there are people giving cheers and there are people giving jeers. As I said, they're giving criticism or they're giving compliments. And what do you do? You don't, even, don't listen really to either. Don't pay much attention. You keep your eye on the goal and you keep moving forward because God says, don't worry about that. But you will be criticized. And all the barking in the world isn't going to stop the moon from shining. So this year, there are going to be some dogs that bark at you, criticize you, tell you how you're doing things wrong. And let me tell you something. If you start going after your dream, there will be people in your life who don't like it. Because it upsets the apple cart. All of a sudden, you're doing something with your life, and they aren't, and it makes them feel a little bad. Well, I'm sorry. You cannot live your life with the opinions of other people. So you'll be criticized. If you get a big dream from God, it will be so big you're bound to fail unless God bails you out. And you will have problems that are so big they will be solvable only by prayer. And you'll have to be on your knees in dependence. Because it'll be so, if you can accomplish it on your own, it's not a dream from God. And so you're going to have big problems that you'll have to be in prayer for and trust God for. And if you get a big dream and you go after it and you start taking risks and expect God to bless you, you're still going to make dumb mistakes. I mean, you may be right in the center of God's will, but you're a human being and you're still going to do foolish stuff. And that's, that's, you know, humbling. I mean, humility is not denying your strengths. It's, it's being honest about your weaknesses. I mean, you have some great strengths. You also have some great weaknesses. We're all a bundle of them. And humility is not denying your strengths. It's not saying, oh, no, no, I'm not good at that. I'm no good. That's actually false humility. That's actually pride. I'm not good at that. Oh, no, no, no. That's pride that's showing there, not humility. Pride is saying, yeah, I'm really good at this. But you know what? I'm also not so good at that because nobody's good at everything, right? Nobody's good at everything. I have some really great strengths. I also have some really great weaknesses. Just ask my family. Or most of you know them, do. You know? And you say, I mean, like bad fashion sense and stuff like that. <laughs> and so, you, you know, you just, you just put up with each other and you take the good and the bad together. Another thing that will happen is other people take credit for your work. If you get a big dream, other people claim the credit for it. You know, uh, God can do great things through the person who doesn't care who gets the credit. So you just keep moving on. So as I said, it's very easy for God to humble you. It's much, much harder for God to get you to believe bigger than you've ever believed before. Hebrews 11.1 1 says God wants us to expect things from him. He says faith assures us of things we expect and convinces us of the existence of things we cannot see. We just come to God and say, okay, God, you just take over. Here's the dream. Here's my life. Here's my reputation. You call the shots. And I'm going to trust you from here on out. I don't know if you've ever said that to Jesus Christ. You take the wheel, Lord. You call the shots. You be the CEO of my life. 
You become the chairman of the board. I'm putting on the sign that says I'm under new management. You're in charge. I'm not. I saw a sign the other day, a bumper sticker in a car. It said, God is my co-pilot. He's not your co-pilot. He's either driving or he's not in the car. God doesn't sit in, in your life and go along with the ride while you're driving. He's either in control or he's not in your car. He's either the captain of the ship, he's the, you know, the pilot of the plane, or he's not there. Have you ever said to him, Jesus, you take the wheel of my life? Let me tell you what, you do that, you're in for the ride of your life. In fact, you're not living until you've done that. You're just existing. You weren't made to go through life on your own power, on your own energy, on your little teeny tiny battery of energy that runs out and keeps you tired all the time. You were meant to be plugged in to nuclear power, God's power in your life. And so what you do is you get God's dream and then you go, okay, God, I'm, I, this is, you put this dream in my heart. I've always wanted to do this and I think this is what you want me to do. So I'm going to go after it and I'm going to go after it in faith. And I'm even going to take some risks and I'm going to be willing to risk failure. And like those guys, even if it doesn't work out, I know that you're going to be pleased just because I went after the dream you put in my heart. And I'm going to keep on going at that. And that brings us to the last point. Faith is never giving up. It's never giving up. When Jesus is at the wheel of your life, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about rocking the boat when he's in it. Now, this is so important. Faith is never giving up that we're going to spend all of next week on this point. We're going to look at this. How do you keep on keeping on when every bone in your body says, I want to quit? I want to let go. We're going to look at the awesome power of fortitude, endurance. Faith is persistent. It's diligent. It keeps on keeping on. The Bible says this, be brave, be strong. Don't give up. God brought some of you here just to hear this one. Don't give up. Expect God to get here soon. Do you know what our nation needs? Men of character, women of character. Well, we need people of compassion and consistency and character and competence. And God says, I'm looking for people to use. And they don't give up when the slightest little problem comes along, but they just keep on keeping on. You see, great people are just ordinary people with an extraordinary amount of determination. Great people are just ordinary people who don't quit. We have become a nation of quitters. Where at the first thing we go, I don't want to do what's consistent. I want to do what's convenient. I want to do what's comfortable. I want to do what's popular. I don't want to just keep on keeping on doing the right thing. I want to do the easy thing. And as I've said many times, when you're coasting, you're always headed downhill. Great people never give up. You know the secret of success is just outlast your critics. They're all going to die anyway. So don't worry about it. Psalm 118.109 says this. My life hangs in the balance. Some of you feel like that right now. My life hangs in the balance. But I will not give up obedience to your word. What's he saying there? Never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Some of you right now, you feel like your life is in the balance. You go, you know, I, my finances are in the toilet. 
My job, I'm hanging on by a thin thread. My marriage is about to come apart. My relationship with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, it's just not working out. I'm having conflict with my parents, with my kids. I got, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with illness after illness and all these other things. And you go, I'm, you know, my life is hanging in the balance. Well, the person of faith says, but I will not give up obedience to your word. And you need to get that kind of conviction about God's dream for your life. You need to be able to say, I know that this is what God wants me to do with my life. And you move forward with conviction. How? By starting on these steps. The Bible says this. Even good people, even if good people fall seven times, they will get back up. I like this verse because it says even good people stumble. Not just bad people, good people fall. We all make mistakes on a daily basis. The difference between righteous and unrighteous is the good people get back up. It's not a sin to fall. It's a sin to be a, a victim and, and wimp out about it and say, well, I'll just stay down here. Something goes wrong in your life, you give up. Say, you know, I, I tried a small group. And my small group, those people in that group, they were weirdos. And we just didn't get along and I had nothing in common with them. So I'm giving up on small groups. Oh, come on. That's like saying, I had a bad meal, so I'm going to give up on food. No. You just make up for it. Find another restaurant. You find a bad doctor, you get a different one. You don't like a TV show, you turn the channels. You don't like your small group, get in a good one. But you still need it. You don't just quit and give up on it. So you keep on keeping on. It says if they fall, they just get back up. Failure is never final. And you are never a failure till you quit. And it is always too soon to quit. You see, you don't determine a person's greatness by their talent or their wealth or their education. You determine a person's greatness by what it takes to discourage them. So what does it take to discourage you from going after your dream? One word of, well, I don't think that's a good idea from a friend or a relative or a family member. The Bible says this in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not get tired of doing good, doing what is right, for after a while... Notice there's a time delay there. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. God says, let's just keep on keeping on. I may not be real bright sometimes, but I tell you what, I don't know how to quit. I don't know how to give up. You see, what I'm saying is this. God works in your life according to your faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible says whatsoever is not a faith is sin. The Bible says, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. So what are you doing in faith? You need to ask yourself every day when you get up, God, what can I do today that will require faith? What can I do today that will require faith? That's an important question. What can I do today that will require faith? Because that's what's going to please God. Now, there are a lot of things in your life you don't have control over. Let me wrap it up with this. You didn't control who your parents were, when you were born, where you were born, what your race, nationality, background is. You didn't control your natural gifts and talents. You didn't decide how you look. There are a lot of things you don't have control over. But the most important thing you have 100% control over, and it's this, how much you choose to believe God. God uses people who expect him to act, who never give up 
who take risks in faith, who get his dream and go after. That's the kind of person God uses. And that's your choice. Now, how do you grow in faith? You ask God, help me grow, help me with my unbelief, and you start reading this word. You get into the Bible. Look at this last verse. Man came to Jesus and his child was sick. And the father of the child cried out with tears. He said, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. When he brought the child to Jesus, Jesus said, do you believe I can heal her? And he said, Lord, I I, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. God says, Jesus says, that's good enough. And he heals the child. You need to say that to him right now. Let's bow our heads. Say, God, I want to believe. Help me with my doubts. Just say that. God, I want to believe. Help me with my doubts. And in your mind, I want you to pray this prayer. Dear God, give me the dream you have for my life. Burn it into my heart what you want me to do. I want your dream. And help me, Lord. To be willing to risk failure in going after that dream. And help me to expect you to use me and to bless me. And help me to never give up. Jesus, take the wheel of my life. And you be the driver from here on out. I want to trust in you and I want to grow in faith in your name. Amen. We hope that you've been encouraged by this message. For a transcript and outline of this message or other resources, please visit saddlebackresources.com.